Julie and I got married, went on our honeymoon, and immediately moved to Fort Worth, Texas, 15, 16 hours away from our family in South Carolina. And so the, the positives about being that far away from your, your family right after you get married is that you have nowhere to run if there are problems, right? You can't run home. You can't, you, you can't go over to somebody else's house. We, we knew one other couple. Uh, in, in Fort Worth. I was going to graduate school. Julie uh, was working out there. I actually knew the other couple. Julie didn't really know them. She'd met them. So it was just us. So when there were problems, we had to deal with it. The other positive thing is you got care packages from your family back home because they weren't used to having people that far away. So we would get tins like this fairly regularly filled with baked goodies and all kinds of wonderful things uh, to eat. Shortly into our marriage, uh, it, it was a matter of weeks or months, uh, but it, it wasn't a year. It, it was right after we got out to Fort Worth. We had probably the biggest argument of our first year of marriage in those first couple of weeks, and some of you can relate to that. And to this day, Julie and I have no clue what it was about. We, we cannot remember what was going on, what I did, what she did, what we did. have no clue what it was about. But in the middle of it, I left. I, I walked out the front door, and this very tin was sitting on the kitchen counter where my wife was, and she smashed it. <laughs> Can you see that in the back? You all think she's nice. The cookie tin doesn't lie. She smashed. She was so mad at whatever I had done and just had to get it out. And, and she has kept this for 23 and a half years uh, to remind both of us, you know, this is where we started. This is, this is where we started. And this is where a lot of you started. Right? You laugh at my story, but you got cookie tins too, all right? You got something that's been said or thrown or broken, or maybe you didn't actually break it, but you wanted to break something or you wanted to break somebody. There's just those moments, especially early on in marriage, where we have conflict. And it's not just marriage. You know, these, these conflict happens in any relationship. You have a friendship, you have a neighbor, co-workers, extended family. Conflict happens in all of our relationships. It especially happens in our marriage. And we're going to talk about conflict today, specifically in marriage, but principles that can apply to any relationship. So after the cookie tin story, let's start here. You will have conflicts in relationships. You just will. If you're dreaming about a friendship or a marriage that is conflict-free, wake up, all right? Smell the coffee, forget about it. We are imperfect people, and when we're around each other, as much as husbands and wives are around each other, we will have conflicts. And it didn't start with us, it didn't start with you. Conflict in marriage and in relationships started at the very beginning of time. 
Right? Adam and Eve, they have a great chapter 1 and chapter 2. is actually the same story. So they have this great beginning and God pronounces them husband and wife in the garden and everything's perfect. And for this reason, a man will leave his wife, leave his uh, mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one. It's a beautiful picture of two people being joined together in paradise, perfect setting, perfect wedding, and one chapter later, they're having conflict. Let me read it to you. This is Genesis chapter 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He said, I, ha- uh, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, he steps up in all of his masculinity, in all of his testosterone, in all of his manhood, and says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. They are barely back from their honeymoon, and Adam's throwing Eve under the bus, right? Like, right away, it's not me, it's her. The blame game, the defensive game, the refusing to take responsibility game, it started at the beginning. It didn't start with your spouse or your marriage or my marriage. It started at the very beginning because whenever there are two imperfect humans trying to coexist, there'll be conflict. And the closer those two humans are to one another, the more time those two humans spend together, the more opportunities there is for conflict. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve. I mean, Genesis 3 is just the beginning. If you keep reading the Bible, you're going to find pretty much every marriage you encounter in the Bible has problems. Moses had conflict with his wife. Abraham had conflict with his wife. Isaac had conflict with Rebecca. David had conflict with his wife. Solomon had conflict with his wife. Every marriage in the Bible. There's some wonderful things about it. The Bible teaches great things about many of the marriages in the Bible, but the Bible teaches the truth that all of those marriages had conflict as well. You and I will have conflict in our relationships and in our marriage. So the question is not if we're going to have conflict. The question for today is how do we handle the conflict that we're going to have? How do we handle it? What are the steps? What are some principles? We're not going to cover everything, and a lot of these are not going to be brand new, but maybe good reminders, maybe something that starts a conversation in your relationship on the way home or next week. Here's the first thing I want to say. Right out of the story of Adam and Eve, first thing is take responsibility. I mean, if you want healthy conflict resolution in your relationships and in your marriage, if you want healthy uh, conflict resolution, it begins with me taking responsibility for me. Me owning me. Me owning my junk and my stuff and what I did and what I said 
We don't see that at all in, with Adam and Eve in their first conflict, right? It, immediately, he blames her, she did it, and he blames God. That's one of the most interesting points of this story to me. Is, is Adam says, look, the woman you put here, like, I didn't ask for this woman. I, I didn't tell you that I wanted her. I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I had nothing. To, there she was. What was I supposed to do? Total lack of responsibility for his part in the conflict. You, you want to have a healthy relationship? You want to resolve conflict in a way that maintains and grows the health of your relationship? Then you've got to take responsibility for you. In the words of the great theologian Michael Jackson, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, right? That's, it's got to start there. Who, right? It's got to go. It's got to be you. And, not that, and that's so opposite of what our human response tends to be, right? Because I don't, I don't want it to be my fault. I want to find a way for it to be her fault. I want to blame. I want to point fingers. I want to shift responsibility away from me and on to her. And the, the reason marriage is so difficult in this particular area is because marriage surfaces things in us that we can avoid without marriage. It surfaces junk inside of me that just in my work relationships, I don't have to deal with as much because I leave those people at the end of the day. Like I don't spend my weekends with those people. I'm not around my extended family all the time. I pick and choose how much time I spend with my friends, but my marriage is always, like I'm, it's I'm always coming home to her. I'm spending every weekend with her. We are together all the time. I can't avoid the stuff that gets surfaced in my marriage. When I talk to people who are, who are about to get married, I know that some of you, when I, when I start giving them advice, here's one of the things I tell them. If you want a simple, practical definition of marriage, here it is. It's two selfish people trying to live together. That's what it comes down to. Two self-centered, selfish people who now have to bring their selfish worlds together and try to find a way to coexist. And I'm convinced you don't know how selfish you are until you get married. And it, because when I got married, I suddenly realized I like things my way. I like the house my way. I, I like the schedule my way. I like the food my way. I realized, living in, in, in an apartment with, with college guys, we didn't rub into each other in this way. But when I got married, I realized, man, I, I like things like I like things. And she likes things like she likes things. Right? She, she had towels that you couldn't use. <laughs> Who does that? And how am I supposed to know which ones you use and don't use? Like you come together, too selfish. I've been, I've been doing me for 24 years at the point when I get married. I've been doing me real well for 24 years. And now, me's got to live with another me. And we're both struggling for what we want and the way we're used to and what we like. Tim Keller has a, has a great line about marriage. He writes, Marriage is the Mack truck driving through your life, revealing your flaws and humbling your reactions. That's so true. Marriage is the Mack 
truck that runs into all of your rough edges and their rough edges and your selfishness and my selfishness and tries to smooth all of that out. This is one of the beautiful things about the the process that marriage takes us to is because it has this potential to make us so much better than that person that we were. It has that potential. If we manage our marriage and specifically our conflicts in a healthy way. And part of the beginning of that is taking responsibility. I'm not suggesting that every argument in your house is your fault. I'm not suggesting that every conflict is your fault, and you're just supposed to lay down and take it. I'm not suggesting that at all. I am suggesting that every conflict in your house can't be your spouse's fault. I know we sometimes think it is. It's impossible. It's impossible that every argument is all her fault. And chances are 99.9% of them are, are both people's faults. And we, we both probably have something to own in any conflict that we have. Healthy conflict resolution in marriage begins there. I'm going to take responsible for me. This is what I did. This is what I said. This is how I reacted, and I shouldn't have. This is mine. Second thing, related. Ask yourself this question. What pushes my buttons and why? What pushes my buttons and why? Maybe this is a conversation you have with your spouse on the way home or sometime later this week. Maybe you have this conversation every day. I don't know. But ask this of yourself. What are the things in our marriage? What are the situations we get in? What are the things my spouse says, does, doesn't do that I feel emotion toward? I get irritated by. I get angry at. What brings that out? And then the follow-up, which is really the most important part of this question. Why? Where does that come from? Why do I get mad at that? Why is that the thing that always brings something? You can do this with coworkers in an office, friends. It applies to a lot of different relationships. What makes me angry and why? Why is the hard part? Why is often, in marriage at least, it is often the result of insecurity and fear. Often. Not always. But part of that why is I brought some insecurity into this relationship. And when that happens, it surfaces that insecurity. I brought some fears, some reservations about me. Maybe not about us. But I brought some fear into this relationship. Fear of rejection. Fear of embarrassment. Fear of abandonment. Fear of my opinion not being respected, fear of failure. And when this thing happens, way down underneath my reaction is this fear that I carry with me. That's a, that's a hard conversation to have with yourself, let alone have with somebody else. But that's how you begin to resolve conflict, is to realize this is really what's feeding my reaction. This, this is really what's striking the, the match to my anger about this. And here's just a tip. Your first answer to that question is probably not the right one. Especially if your first answer is about your spouse. Well, the reason I get mad is because he always does this. Well, the reason I get mad is because she never... 
Right? The reason I get mad is because he responds like, it's part of it up here that's probably not the why down here. Your first answer, your first reaction, your first way of solving that question may not be the real answer. So keep asking it. Why? Why does that? If you've been married probably five years or more, you know there are some consistent arguments you have. Right? They're just, they're just you, it's like clockwork. Like about every six months, we're going to have that one. Why? Why, is, why is that the one? for you and what do we both need to own and why what fears and insecurities what of my past experience what happened in my last relationship that's kind of bleeding over into this relationship that causes me to react maybe more strongly than i should react to that why once you've discovered why and now we got to talk about it right now we got to get to the all right we got to talk to each other about about why this is here's a suggestion Begin with I statements instead of you statements when you have conflict resolution discussions. Begin with I statements instead of you statements. Because you statements sounds like, well, you always and you didn't and you never and you did this to me. Which immediately sets up walls of defensiveness, right? Now, I've got to defend myself. I've got to protect myself because I'm getting attacked with all of this you, 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 you. Versus... I felt like this when this happened. It it made me feel unappreciated when this happened. It made me feel like my opinion didn't matter to you when you just went ahead and made that decision and you you didn't ask me about it. I, I felt this in this circumstance. It's a lot less defensive. It's a lot less of an attack than you did, and you should have known better, and you always, and you never, and you didn't. So begin with I instead of you. Another suggestion. Don't assume you know what your spouse is thinking or what his or her motive is. Don't assume you know what your spouse is thinking or what his or her motive is. Now, the reason this is a challenge is because if you've been married long enough, you do kind of know some of that, right? You do, you're learning, you know each other, you finish each other's sentences um, uh, or sandwiches if you're in Frozen, whatever. <laughs> like you have that sort of connection, that sort of mental, emotional connection. When it comes to conflict, though, be very careful trying to fill in the blanks of your spouse, your coworker, your friend, whoever you're in conflict with, and jumping to the conclusion that, oh, I know why you did it. You did that to get back at me for. You're doing that because of. You're trying to get me to. Which escalates conflict. And probably is not even true. See, here's the thing. When, when I'm angry about something and we haven't talked about it, when I'm angry about something, that's all I'm thinking about. When my wife has, has made me angry, I interpret everything she does after that as if it's relating to that thing she did, to, that art, to, to the conflict that we're having. I just assume that, well, I'm stewing about this every day, all day for the past week, and so everything they do, I assume, is related to that, and she may not even know that I'm angry. 
She may not even know what the issue is or that I'm upset, but I'm drawing all of these conclusions. Because for me, there's a straight line between everything she does now and that thing that made me mad. Whether that's true for her or not, I'm connecting everything back to that, which doesn't resolve the conflict. It just escalates the conflict. So be real careful making those assumptions. And honestly, it does no good to think or to say, well, you ought to know what I'm angry about. Ever tried that? Especially if you're a wife saying that to your husband. Well, you should know, ladies, we don't know. We, we don't know. We're not trying not to know. We're not playing dumb. We're really dumb, right? It's not, we're not playing we don't know. And the same thing for husbands and wives. Sometimes we just assume they know what made me mad. And we've never talked about it. We've never expressed what's going on. Which underscores the importance of continuing to communicate through conflict. Last week we talked about communication. You can listen to that online. But it's, it, it, it's essential not just when things are going well, but even when we run into conflict to continue to get things out on the table because I can promise you that conflict does not disappear if you don't talk about it. And some of us, our personalities, that's the way we treat conflict. We think that, okay, if we just don't bring it, if we just don't talk about it, if we go to our corners for like a day and then we'll come back out and we'll just forget all about it. You may. The emotion may subside after a, a period of time the issue doesn't go away. The hurt doesn't get healed unless we're able to work through it. And all of us approach conflict differently. I'm one of these people. This, this is one of the things I've had to work on the most in my marriage is that my tendency is when there's a conflict is to shut down because I saw this modeled in my dad who was a great dad, awesome guy, but when it came to conflict in his marriage, that was his approach, was to shut down, to get quiet, to say nothing. And a couple of days later, like he'd be back to normal. That's my tendency too. It's probably some of your tendencies. But that doesn't resolve the conflict that we're having. It just pushes it down. And saves it for another day. And makes it more dangerous the next time we have conflict. Related to this. In, in conflict and relationship. Don't stockpile grievances. Right, don't, don't like get you a shovel and I'm going to put that over here. Because I'm going to need that one day. All right. I'm gonna, you said this. I'm going to just hold that right there. Because I'm going to need that someday. And I'm going to need that. And I'm going to... Healthy conflict resolution is, as we have those moments, we get better at handling them as they come. We're going to talk about this so that we can deal with it and so that we can move on. So that there's not, under our relationship, sort of these layers of pain, layers of rejection, layers of hurt, Layers of dynamite that are going to explode at some point. Don't stockpile grievances. Now, if you've already done that, then you've got a pretty good pile already. So my next suggestion is don't drag all of those out at one time and set them on the table. 
When it comes to conflict resolution, handle one major conflict at a time and know what it is. Make sure we both know what it is. And let's handle that one before we handle five more. Because you're not going to get very far if you pile everything into one argument and one conversation and let's fix this. And oh, by the way, there was that time two years ago you did this and then your mama said and that's on that. And that just creates hurt and resentment and defensiveness and an unwillingness to enter into this conversation again. The last time we entered into this, everything blew up. Another suggestion. Resist the public revenge. Resist with all that is within you. The public revenge. And some of you aren't wired this way, but some of us passive aggressives are. We don't want to have the conversation with our spouse. We don't want to handle it. We don't want to deal with it. So when we're out with friends... We kind of, kind of slide a comment in somewhere between getting the drinks and getting the rolls, right? We just kind of, it's not overly aggressive, but we're just putting it out there because we know they can't really fight back right now. And I'm stewing over this and I want you to know that I'm stewing over this, but we didn't talk about it before we left. So I'm going to just zing one right now. Which never, has never, ever led to healthy conflict resolution. I don't know if you've been tracking it in your marriage. I've done it in my marriage. Never once did she go, okay, I see what you mean now. You're right. I was wrong. Let's enjoy our meal. I'm I'm so glad you were sarcastic. Just help me so much. Never one in the, one time in the history of mankind. Has snarky public revenge healed marital conflict? And yet some of us are prone to that. Here's the funny thing. We are painfully aware of how awkward and distasteful it is when friends do that. You ever been at that dinner? Ever been at that dinner where he zings her or she zings him and you're thinking, "Uh, is our food ready? Uh, I think we're ready to order. Can you come over here? It's it's painfully obvious how distasteful and awkward and embarrassing it is for somebody else to do that. And just when we're in that moment, we're just not in our right moment. We're just not thinking right. Just kind of slides out. Avoid avoid the public revenge. And, and, And lastly, in conflict resolution, trust the power of apologies and forgiveness. Trust the power of apologies and forgiveness. Not just your first year of marriage, but your 30th and 50th and 60th year of marriage. Not just your first conflict, but your 100th conflict. Build a foundation of we are going to apologize and we're going to extend grace and we're going to extend forgiveness because, listen, somebody's got to say it. In every conversation, somebody's got to step up and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said it that way. I'm sorry I hurt you. I would never intend to hurt you, but I I did, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't consider you when I made that decision. I'm sorry. And, And look, I know 
that people use that term flippantly sometimes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a genuine ownership of my responsibility, an agreement that I should have done better, I should have known better, I should not have said that. I'm sorry. And then the power that comes when we extend grace and forgiveness to one another. Because the truth is, there are no perfect marriages. Because there are no perfect people. There never has been, there never will be a perfect marriage. Because we're all imperfect people. And I don't know if you have a cookie tin yet, but you're going to have one at some day. Now, you're going to have those type of moments. And the most powerful force in all the world is someone who can say, I forgive you. I forgive you. We're called, as, as married couples, we're called to demonstrate and be an example of the grace of Jesus. And I don't think there's any clearer picture of what Jesus came to do than forgiveness. There is no clearer picture than of Jesus being wronged, beaten, scarred. There's no clearer picture of who he was than that moment when he said, Father, forgive. Father, forgive. And your marriage and my marriage never more clearly demonstrates Christ then when we forgive, and somebody says, it was me, I'm sorry, I reacted this way because I'm trying to work on that, will you forgive me? And the other person says, yes, no strings attached, yes, I forgive you. There's a passage in the New Testament, it's, it's almost become cliche, because we use it so much and so many people know it. It's almost become reserved for the order of service at a wedding or, or, or something you put on the wall. That's not why it was given to us. It was given to us to paint a picture of what is possible in relationships. Not the ideal, oh, you'll never get there. It was given to us to say through Christ... Because he's forgiven you, because he's at work in you and in your spouse, this is possible. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, no stockpiling. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It was not given to us to shame us. It was not given to us to paint a picture of some unrealistic ideal. It was given to us to say... Two people submitted to Christ, two people fully aware of the grace that's been given to their lives can come together and offer that grace to one another and they can grow a love that looks just like this through Christ. And as His followers, 
We can't settle for anything less. We have to stay in it. We have to keep working. We have to keep examining ourselves and extending grace to our spouse and to ourselves. So that this always love that never fails will become more and more a reality in your relationships and in mine. Let's pray. God, we thank you for painting reality that we have conflict, that we have struggles, that we are imperfect people, that we're selfish, but also painting the beauty of what imperfect people can find when they love the way Jesus loves, when they extend grace the way Jesus extends grace a beautiful picture and we strive for it and we we fight for it every day may we never give up because love always perseveres and never fails real love submitted to you and submitted to one another never fails in Jesus name I pray Amen.